Hello and welcome to GoGo Sports Bros, the sports show for anyone who genuinely isn't sure what city the Patriots are even supposed to be from, myself included. I'm Olivia. I'm Emily. And I'm Cammy. So, hey, Emily, what is GoGo Sports Bros? GoGo Sports Bros is a show where three people who don't know anything about sports have endeavored to learn everything about sports. Um, and so each episode, we're picking a new sport and we're learning uh, basically everything Wikipedia has to offer on that sport. <laughs> In my case. <laughs> oh, man. Busted. <laughs> uh, which wasn't a lot for Luke. <laughs> Gotta be honest with you guys. <laughs> yeah. So this week's sport, uh, as you just revealed, is luge. We thought we'd do another uh, wintry one to follow on the heels of our curling episode last time. Yeah, why not? The weather outside is frightful. Right. Go on, Mom. So, as usual, we'll start off with a little bit of history. Um, Luge was invented pretty recently, but obviously sleds have been around uh, for a lot, lot longer than that. Um, Since at least 800 AD, uh, Viking times. But the first sled races weren't recorded until the 15th century. But luge, specifically as a sport, originated in a resort town in Switzerland called St. Moritz. And that was thanks to a hotel entrepreneur called Casper Badrit. Is it, is it St. Moritz or San Moritz? It might be San Moritz. That sounds a lot swankier. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds fancier. Does it sound resorty? Mm-hmm. I would go to I would go to San Moritz. I would too. I think I'd go to San Moritz over St. Moritz, but take it away, Liv. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy wanted to get people more into the idea of coming to his resort in the wintertime. So he started offering like special wintertime food and drinks and activities uh, to try and get more guests in, in the off season. So the guests started adapting uh, delivery boys' sleds and using them to slide down the alleys and streets of the town. Uh, So eventually this really caught on and hotel owners began building luge tracks to try and attract tourists to their hotels. The first organized luge meeting was in 1883 in Switzerland and uh, the International Sled Sports Federation was not founded until 1935. Uh, and the first Luge World Championships uh, were in 1955 in Oslo. So the sport itself, or the organized form of it, is pretty young. But people have had sleds for a long time. Yeah. They sure have. I, I read something kind of interesting about that first organized meeting in 1883, um, that one also was organized by hoteliers in, in Davos. There was a 2.5-mile track which went between um, two Swiss resort towns, uh, St. Wolfgang to Klosters. Um, and there were 21 competitors, including somebody from the United States. Um, but interestingly to me, the winner, there was a tie, two winners, one of which was a student from Australia. How he even knew how to do this, I have no idea. Um, but he tied with a mailman from Closters uh, <laughs> at the 
the blistering pace of nine minutes and 15 seconds. Wow. So that was 1883. And then the world championship, as you mentioned, um, in Oslo in 1955. Um, and then it wasn't actually until 1964 that luge um, became an Olympic sport. It was actually targeted to be a sport in the Olympics in 1960. But um, that was the Squaw Valley Olympics, and they actually didn't have a venue ready. So they didn't have luge in 60. They had it in 1964. And at that time, that one was in Innsbruck, Austria. There was no luge program to speak of in the United States. So the lugers who participated for our country were uh, comprised mostly of servicemen who were stationed in Europe. So they just like kind of showed up and were like, this seems fun. But, or well, I guess they maybe had, they like, had the opportunity to try it while they yeah, were stationed. Or at least seen it or something. So they just gathered some people around and said, hey, you want to do this? Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, since then, I was surprised to find that three losers have carried the uh, flag for the United States in the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well... Let's get in into how losing works and kind of the the physics behind it and the rules. Um, but before we do, when we say luge, we're talking about a sport that involves uh, either one or two people lying down on a sled going very, very fast down an icy chute. But there are some similar sports you might be thinking of that are not to be confused with luge. Uh, skeleton. Involves a similar sled, but uh, rather than starting on the sled like you do with luge, you sprint and jump onto it head first before you uh, begin your travels. Right. So we should mention that that on luge, you're actually feet first and you're lying face up as opposed to skeleton where you're head first and face down. Right. And then bobsled also has a running start like skeleton, but you jump into the sled um, and this is the only one of the three where the sled actually has a steering mechanism that you can use as you're going down the chute. And that one's cool running. Yeah, those are the ones that, yeah, they're the ones that look like kind of like sports cars. They've got these big fancy fronts and, and bright colors. They don't look like sleds. They look like race cars to me. Right. And those are, that's done with either a two or a four person team, whereas Luge is most often an individual sport or a, a double sport where literally like the second dude just lies on just top lies of the first one. So not really sure what he is accomplishing. Uh, seems kind of like he's freeloading on the ride, but. <laughs> right. So the um, the the luge uh, courses themselves. um very, I guess for men, they're like between eight tenths of a mile, nine tenths of a mile. And for women in doubles, they're like between six to seven tenths of a mile. Um, and on average, they feature like a 30 story vertical drop. Yeah, like 300 feet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I was surprised to find that there are actually only 16 luge tracks in the world. We're talking about there. There are actually two types of luge tracks. There's an man artificial, and natural. Yeah, a man-made and natural, and there are only 16 man-made tracks in the world. And two one of which natural, are in right? the United States. Right. There's only yeah. one natural luge track in the entire world. 
In no, in the United States. I thought there was only one in the world. There's I'll only be. one natural one in the world. Google it real fast. I'm Googling. We'll talk Google, about the, Google the other features of these. So another another important aspect of the tracks are these huge banking turns that you've got to go around, and you're picking up speed with each subsequent turn. And uh, navigate- okay, you're right. Only one natural track in the United States. There are several in the world. Okay. Oh, beans. Thank you. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So you're going around huge turns and uh, you're steering around those turns plays a big part in your ultimate time down the course. And and how do you how do you spear, steer? You are steering by applying. Well, to explain how steering works, let's explain how the sled works first. So these sleds are fancy custom jobs. They're made for each individual athlete per their height and weight and builds. They're made of fiberglass and steel, and they have a few important components. The steels are the only part that touches the ice. These are made of metal, and they polish them like crazy to reduce as much friction as possible. Uh, There are also runners, which are made of fiberglass, and those are connected to the bridges, which support the pod, which is the platform that you're actually lying on. Um, so to steer the sled, you are applying pressure with your calves to those runners, uh, which makes slight changes to the direction that it's traveling. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So to, to train for this sport, you got to have like super strong calves and a super strong core and also a really strong neck. Because you got to hold your head up the whole time to kind of see where you're going. We well, you don't hold it up, but you just got to be able to look over your your toes to make sure that you're on the right track. But I know my neck gets tired just doing sit up, so I don't even know how they do that. I know because you have to hold your head up in order to see, but you can only hold it a tiny bit up because if it's up too much, then that creates drag and and slows you down. So sliders, which is what people who participate in this sport are sometimes referred to will train for ages in wind tunnels to try and find like the perfect positioning to maximize their aerodynamics. Oh, really? No way. That sounds so fun. (laughs) Got to figure out like how to hold your body just right so that you can control the sled, but also be as aerodynamic as possible. Wow. That is cool. Yeah. So we're probably going to say the word aerodynamic a lot because that's kind of like the whole deal of this. Like, yeah. <laughs> the thing with luge is that you're just trying to be aerodynamic. <laughs> Pretty much. Gravity is the only thing <laughs> speeding you up. Your sled does not have an engine. You are not propelling it other than a little bit at the start. Um, you're just relying on gravity to pull you down. So what you can do as a slider is try to minimize all the other forces that are slowing you down. Uh, Hence the super polished steels on the sled. You're also wearing this skin-tight, slippery rubber suit to try and make you as slip aerodynamic. Mm -hmm. You're wearing special And also sexy. Yeah, Yeah, and also very flattering, I'm sure. (laughs) and as a result of all your efforts you end up going um in speeds i mean it's just you and a sled and you're going in speeds of about 90 miles an hour 
down an icy track. Yeah, it's it's super fast. If you mess up in this sport, uh, it can pretty easily be fatal for you. Yeah. Do you want do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I was I was curious about that. I actually Googled deaths, luge deaths, which I don't mean to sound morbid, but it just looks like a really dangerous sport. Um, although skeleton looks even worse. Well, there was the one at the 2000, the 2010, right? Olympics. Right. Yep. Yep. That yeah. one's super famous, mostly because it was caught on video. Yeah. Which was really bad. But there was a competitor from the uh, the country of Georgia who um, hit a turn wrong on a on a practice run. And his body was just hurtled up into a steel beam. Uh, they think he was going almost 90 miles an hour and that was caught on video. And as, as a result of that, the Sochi Olympics, which were the next ones to be held, ended up slowing down their luge course. They actually introduced some uphill sections on the upper part of their course to make it a little bit slower to try to avoid any kind of tragedies like the one in 2010. There's been one other fatality on a practice run at the Olympics. I was surprised. It, I thought that there would be more fatalities to tell you the truth, but it I, yeah, turns out that too. there have been just as many fatalities in cycling and even in running um, as well as in speed skiing, that kind of thing. I was very surprised that there had only been two fatalities. They must do a pretty good job of yeah. That is keeping, honestly keeping kind of pretty shocking. strictly regulated. It looks incredibly dangerous to watch. I mean, I'm sure it's exhilarating, but also just super duper scary. Yeah, I'm very glad that my kids grew up in a southern state where luge racing wasn't an option. <laughs> well, we could have chosen to participate in street luge. Want to tell me about street luge? Heck yeah, I want to tell you about street luge. That was the bulk of my research. Um, street luge came about in Southern California um, when skateboarders realized they could go faster if they laid down on their skateboards. Um, and thus, the fast-paced, widely recognized sport of street luge was born. Um, and I, it kind of had a surge in popularity in like the nineties, early two thousands with the X games. When the X games were big, there was something called the gravity games, um, where street losers could participate, uh, basically just lying down on big old skateboards. Um, however, uh, the, with, with the waning of popularity of the X games, because it's not the early 2000s anymore, you guys. Um, we've all grown out of our all grunge skateboard we've, phase. We're, we're no longer in our grunge. The world has moved on from its collective grunge phase. Um, and now the X Games is more stadium-based, so they don't street luge anymore. Dang. Um, but my favorite loser, Ro Roger Hickey, the unofficial inventor, but also the official king, of street luge he is very optimistic um that street luge is going to be the next big thing he thinks that we may see street luge in the olympics who knows we might keep an eye out for that um 
in uh oh i don't know where the next <laughs> olympics are <laughs> i don't either well we may have a little south while. Korea, north south korea they're south korea i think okay anyways <laughs> we may, street we may luge. Have to- i definitely did street luge as a kid Unofficial street luge. When I said that I didn't do sports as a kid, I was lying because I did street luge. <laughs> I went on, yeah. our, on our driveway. And also, just because I... Yeah, on our driveway, just because I couldn't stand up on a skateboard. So, like, accidental street luge. <laughs> it was just out of necessity. <laughs> it's how you skateboard when you don't know how to skateboard, is you street luge. Do you lie on your back? Are you street luging or street skeletoning? Uh, you're lying on your back. Okay. Okay. Lying on your face down on a skateboard, you psychopath? I can see you doing that, Em. You're getting a face full of concrete, Mom. Lying on a skateboard is all kind it. of weird in her defense. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, even though uh, Street Luge has a little while to wait for it to become the next new thing and become an Olympic sport, like you mentioned... Traditional luge on ice is an Olympic sport, and it's done a little bit differently than some of the other ones. So there's no... In luge, there are no world or Olympic records because every course or track is a little bit different. Like you mentioned in the Sochi Olympics, they modified it a little bit. So there's you can't really expect a consistent time when you're competing in different places. Um, But how the Olympics scores this is that everyone takes four runs over the span of two days and you add up all your time at the end and whoever has the lowest cumulative time is the winner. And often the the first and second and third place winners in the Olympics are separated by like thousandths of a second. Yeah, it's actually the only uh, sliding sport in which times are measured down to the thousandth of a second because it really does matter. And before the race, there's a lot of regulating um, that goes on. They measure the competitor's sleds. They take the temperature of the steel blades, which cannot be more than five degrees Celsius, warmer than the control temp that they've decided on. The athletes are weighed. They can carry additional weight if they uh, are below a base weight of about 200 pounds for men and about uh, 150 pounds for women. So they're weighed and there are actually random weight checks between runs. So they do keep it very strictly regulated. I don't know why you'd weigh want to weigh less than the minimum because like the heavier no. you are, the faster you go. Yeah, well, that's the cool thing is if you weigh less than the the base weight, you can carry up to 50% more of your body, the difference between your body weight and the base weight if you're a woman. And if you're a man, you can carry up to 75% more of the difference between your weight and the base weight. Now, the one thing I couldn't find out is how do you carry this additional weight? Do they put rocks in your rubber suit or how do they how do they make that happen? I don't know. I'm I'm sure there's some kind of like fancy vest or something you wear cuz to me it seems like you would want to be like a really small tiny person so that you're more aerodynamic and then just pack on the extra weight to make the minimum 
rather than being yeah. big and bulky. So there must be some super aerodynamic vest kind of thing, like you said, that they put on to to add the weight without adding drag. Yeah. Right? I don't know. I don't know. There, there are three different events that take place in the Olympics. There's the men's singles, there's women's singles, and then there's doubles, which apparently are not are mixed sex if you want. It can, they can be two men, two women, two a man and a woman. But interesting. It usually ends up being two guys just because they want to max out the weight that they yeah. can have. Yeah, um, right. So more often than not, they'll have two dudes and it will be it would be two dudes lying on top of each other. But if you did find a super burly luge slider woman, she could be on there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Not many other Olympic sports uh, are mixed up like that. Yeah, I don't think so. Other than eventing, right? Didn't we talk about eventing being sort of mixed? Yeah. Yeah. Um, The the top countries in Luzhing are Germany. Germany and Germany. Germany apparently is a really, really big Luzhing country. They dominate all of the events. Um, other countries that are super into it include Italy and Austria and Russia, Latvia. Um, USA is up there, but they have somewhat of a hard time recruiting talent for Team USA. NPR's Morning Edition, I sent you guys a link. They did a they did a piece last week about how they do these talent searches. They go from town to town, both in summer and winter, and set up these little mini luge courses and try to attract kids to to be brave enough to to do the luge courses. And then if they see somebody who looks like a natural, they go talk to their parents and try and sign them up to be on Team USA. <laughs> the one sport where they have to actively go like recruit people to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, if you're if you're a kid and you're interested in luging and you don't live in a place that has a luge course, which are a pretty specialty facility, it sounds like like there's not a lot you can do to pursue that dream. Right. It's so the two the two artificial courses are in Lake Placid, New York, where the site of the 1980 Olympics and in Park City, Utah, where the site of the 2002 Olympics. So if you don't live in the vicinity of either of those places, how are you going to practice? You can always straight luge. <laughs> I guess so. Well, that's pretty much all I found on the sport of luging how about you guys yeah that's about it i i appreciate luge because it's exciting to watch mm-hmm. and goes fast it's very uncomplicated yeah not a lot of rules to memorize pretty basic it's sledding it's extreme sledding <laughs> it's extreme sledding it's uncomplicated yeah. in that it is sledding yeah I'm yeah. sure if if I were a slider, I'd be very offended and want to talk at length about all the different physics that goes into it. But I mean, the the main idea is gravity's pulling you down, friction is holding back. You got to try and reduce the friction as much as possible and not die. And that's basically it. I think you have diluted it to its essence. Thank you.
Well, uh, you, Emily, already mentioned your favorite loser. Roger Hickey, the king of street luge. (laughs) Does Roger Hickey do regular luge or just street luge? No, just street luge. Okay, does he even count then? (laughs) (laughs) Also, is street lugeing like his day job? Is he like a professional street luger or is this just a fun hobby? You know, I think he might be a professional street luger. (laughs) Well, good for him. We wish him him all the best. Yeah. Well, I found a favorite luger that I want to talk about. A favorite slider I guess we should talk about. My my luger, my slider, his name, he's no longer... Involved in this, well, he's no longer competing in in the loose sport, but he was the man in his day, and the man's name is Georg Hackel of Germany. He was the first Olympic athlete to medal at five consecutive Olympics. Dang, he got yeah, man, he got three golds and two silvers over the course of five Olympics. The first one being in 1988. His last appearance in 2006 was his least successful. He came in seventh, um, but then he went on to coach the German luge team, and he began competing in walk racing. Yes, walk folks, racing. There is a thing where you sit on a Chinese walk and go down a luge course, and he is a nine-time champion. This is so. A this thing, is an people. official sport with competitions. <laughs> is he the only are. one, though? Well, I'm pretty sure most of the people who are participating alongside are also Germans, and I'm thinking they're probably drunk. They're definitely (laughs) drunk. Oh, they're for sure drunk. (laughs) But they are sitting their butts on walks, which they actually heat for a few seconds before they go on the ice to make them go even faster down the luge course. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds even more dangerous than regular luge. Or street luge. I know. I know, but in 2015, he was again. That was the last I could come up with. He was again the uh, the victor of the the international walk racing competition in Germany. So that's my guy, Jorg. That's your guy. Love can it. I, can I tell you about my guy, please? Because this is hands down one of the best sports anecdotes I've come across so far uh, over the course of this this podcast. Buckle up, you guys. Yeah, <laughs> buckle You're up. in for a wild ride right now. <laughs> so I would like to tell you about a man named Bruno Bonani, uh, who comes from the island nation of Tonga. He's sometimes also called the Flying Coconut. <laughs> um, and if the name bruno banani sounds familiar to you that may be because it is also a brand of german underwear (laughs) so that's not a coincidence i'll get to that so bruno banani is from a small island nation called tonga and as a small island they weren't getting a lot of recognition or so their princess thought so she decides that she really wants to have an athlete compete in the Winter Olympics for the first time. Um, this would be a huge deal for Tonga. They would finally get some attention. But there are a couple of problems. First is that Tonga is a very warm climate. Their lowest temperatures get into like the 50s. So <laughs> not much snow. No one does winter sports. 
The second problem is they don't really have any money to make this happen. Uh, they don't have any facilities for training. They don't have money to send someone to Europe. So the princess is not deterred. She has a friend who works for a PR company in Germany, and together they hatch a plan. They decide that uh, luge seems like the winter sport that would be most uh, realistic to train someone for in the in the time available to them. And they also think that perhaps if they can convince their uh, their slider to change his name to Bruno Bonani, which is the name of the German underwear company, that perhaps this German underwear company might sponsor him and provide the money to to train this athlete. <laughs> so keep in mind Did that it happen? I'll get there. Keep in mind that at this point, this company, Bruno Bonani, has not signed off on this. They just think that maybe if they get their if they get their guy to change his name to this they could earn their sponsorship. So they hold a casting call. Uh, about 20 people show up. Most of them are just there because uh, they want a free trip to Europe. But one young man named Fuahea Semi seems a little bit more enthusiastic about it. Uh, he thinks that it would be cool to represent his country in the Olympics. They think he has what it takes to be uh, a slider. And most importantly, he is totally down to change his name to Bruno Bonani. So he gets picked. And he goes to Germany to start training uh, to participate in Luge, in the Olympics. But the problem is, uh, the Olympics and the International Olympic Committee have really strict rules about sponsorships and advertising. You are only allowed to be sponsored by companies that are official sponsors of the Olympics, which this underwear company was not. So people were getting a little bit suspicious about his name and whether that constituted uh, an unfair sponsorship. This was, this was, in fact, the reason that they had come up with this whole scheme in the first place. Um, the Princess of Tonga and her buddies at the PR firm and her cohorts saw this as kind of a loophole to get around this advertising and sponsorship ban. But nonetheless, people were pretty upset about it, thought it was kind of a tasteless marketing ploy. And a lot of people called for him to not be allowed to participate in the Olympics at all. Oh, little Tonga boy. Yeah. Uh, but fortunately, they finally had to concede that since he had legally changed his name to Bruno Bonani, it was on his passport and everything. Since that was now his legal name, it did not count as an as an illegal sponsorship, and he was allowed to participate. Excellent. So he, uh, his initial goal was to qualify for the Vancouver Winter Olympics, and he missed qualifying by one point. He crashed on his last run and woke up in the hospital. Oh, but Bruno. He was not deterred. He was going to see this dream through to the end, despite the fact that he comes from this country with no history of participation in this sport or any winter sport. And the fact that he was never a pro athlete to begin with. He was just like a guy that showed up to the casting call and got picked. 
But he's made it this far. He's going to see it through to the end. So he trains some more, and he finally qualifies for Sochi in 2013. Wow! And he, he had realistic expectations of where he'd end up. He ended up placing 33rd out of 39, which I think for for him was not bad, all things considered. But his his real moment of victory was just getting to walk into that stadium holding his country's flag and being the first person from Tonga to get to do that. So uh, he got there in probably one of the weirdest ways possible. But he ended up being a real inspiration and and seeing his dream through. So, Bruno Bonani, y'all. That is what an a guy. story. That's my favorite story. That is my favorite story, too. So, okay, Sochi was the last Olympics, right? Right, Does that, that was mean in 2014. Does that mean that we can hope to see him in 2018? Um, as far as I read, he was... Last time they checked in on him, he was still undecided. He kind of, he did what he set out to do, which was just get to the Olympics. Yeah. Um, and it seemed like he was aware that he was probably never going to be the the number one slider in the world. And who knows if he even still has his sponsorship from the the underwear company, although I would certainly hope so. So that's his legal name now. I know, right? <laughs> Um, so he actually, at the end of the day, he did end up getting sponsored by the underwear company? He did. That's how he got to go to Germany and train. Um, he Once he legally changed it, they, they realized he was serious and <laughs> they provided some funding. Oh, cool. That's seriously the best. Yeah. That is seriously the best. I'm going to follow this guy. Yeah. So who knows if we'll see him see him in the Olympics again, but I hope... I hope whatever he ends up doing, he is very happy. Wait, did you mention why his name was the Flying Coconut? No, I didn't. Because he attributed his success to his diet of coconuts. Ah! (laughs) And they, like, made this whole... They made up this whole, like, narrative about how his dad... He was the son of a coconut farmer, but he wasn't. It was a lie. He's the son of a cassava farmer. I guess cassava doesn't cassava? like the flying cassava doesn't roll off the tongue. Yeah, but coconuts well. are more charming. My my guy had a a nickname too. Oh yeah, Jorg was known as the speeding vice burst. What is a vice burst? We ate vice burst in Germany, Olivia. Oh. I think we did eat vice versa in Germany. It's it's a type of sausage, right? Yeah, I thought <laughs> it's the it's the white sausage that you drink with a beer. The white sausage that you drink with a beer. He was named the speeding vice versa as a reference to what he looks like in his white bodysuit at fast speed. (laughs) (laughs) He looks like a little white sausage. Yeah. So we've got the speeding sausage, the flying coconut, and the king of street. (laughs) This was a good crop of athletes this time around. (laughs) Boy. I agree. I gotta say, Luge has has a lot of charm to it. I, it I does. Certainly it does. enjoyed it, and we can 
we can look forward to maybe seeing some some street luging in the Summer Olympics, and who knows, maybe even walk racing will make it into mm-hmm. some Winter Olympics. I think the thing is that they're just so desperate for anyone to luge because there's like four losers in the world, and so they're like, "Yes, we'll take you. You're the flying coconut. All right, let's do it." Yeah, that's yeah. totally why they picked it. There's like no one else does this. All you really have to do is get on the sled and lie down. So probably the easiest one to like get a foot in the door. Definitely. Definitely. Okay, well we learned we learned a few things, didn't we, girls? We, we, we learned some did. things. I very much enjoyed this sport. <laughs> and those uh go so fast. Those ninety mile an hour speeds make it a, a real a real fun to watch. It is fun to watch. Not going to lie. Well, you guys, uh, thanks for listening to another episode thanks of Go-Go Sports in. Bros. It's our 10th one. We made it to the double digits. Happy 10th anniversary, everyone. What's their 10th an- anniversary? Mom, you're I don't married. know, like paper or something? What? 10 years yeah. and all I have to look forward to is paper? I think so. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm out. Uh, well, I know. Well, we've covered some pretty fun sports, but I know there are a lot of other cool sports out there for us to cover. So if you listeners have any suggestions for us, what should you do? Liz? You should tweet them at GoGo Sports Bros, or you can email them to gogosportsbros at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed the show, Um, we would love it if you want to tell a friend or perhaps share a link to your favorite episode on your social media of choice and help us spread the word about all these great sports. All right. Well, that about does it for us. Bring it in, gang. Ready? Sports Bros on three. One, two, three. Sports Sports Bros! Bros!